Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. If you're a seeker, Don't miss the inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening, Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles shamanic counselor and indigenously trained dream decoder, Sander Cochran's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers throughout the Americas. Sandy's initiations across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt, combined with her knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth, influence her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private readings, Sacred International Journeys, a meditative CD, and her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate your earthwalk and create a deeper connection to yourself. Find this and more at her website, starwalkervisions.com. vast universe exists within and beyond reality. What we realize with our five senses is but a tiny fraction of all that is real. Welcome to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm Joe Wegent, your guide and advocate as we remove the blinders of our everyday lives and experience together all that exists out there in the world beyond our world. We've got a great show for you today. Our special guest this morning is Chris Cook, who is the director of cemeteries here in Evansville, Indiana. Chris is the superintendent uh, of cemetery in Evansville. He is the valedictorian of the 2013 uh, ICCFA University, and he completed the ICCFA University Master's Program. He is a certified celebrant, a current vice chairman of the Indiana State Board of Cemetery and Funeral Services, a board member of the Indiana Cemetery Association, 
and in 2016 was elected the president-elect of Indiana Cemetery Association. Chris Cook is a graduate of Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana, and he has served in his job as the superintendent since March of 2008. Chris is also a former semi-professional football player. So welcome to the show, Chris. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of diversity in that background. You know, I'm going to have one heck of a book someday if I ever put everything to writing. But uh, Well, you sent me two that. pages of uh, background and accomplishments, and I'm not going to go over them today because I actually want to talk to you during the show. Otherwise, I'd be sitting here <laughs> reading a bunch of member of this, a president of that, member of this, and president of that all day. But uh, so how does one go from being a semi-professional ball player and a, a radio sports announcer on all these different uh, stations and channels that you do to becoming the, the head of the cemetery board working for the Evansville government? Well, I was very lucky. Um, you know, I'm a history major, history and classics minor up at uh, Wabash. And there aren't a lot of jobs uh, where you can apply what you learn with the history, you know, unless you want to get into teaching and stuff. But I had a tremendous opportunity back in uh, 2008 um, to come to work for the city of Evansville in the role of uh, superintendent of city cemeteries. I was 32 years old when they threw me the keys to the place. And, you know, there's there's no direct way of getting into that. Um, you know, I had a sales and marketing background, done a lot of stuff, uh, you know, personally and professionally. And, you know, with the history background, um, the mayor at the time uh, gave me an opportunity and, you know, to run with the football, so to speak, to make the football reference. And I took the ball and haven't looked back, and it's been, it'll be nine years uh, next month that I've been in this role here with the city of Evansville, you know, running both Oak Hill and Locust Hill Cemetery. So now did you start off running both of those at the same time? or were... Yes. Okay. Yes, the role is for the city uh, cemeteries, you know, the superintendent oversees both city cemeteries. Roughly, uh, Oak Hill was established in 1853, Locust Hill in 1855. If you count the un, um, unincorporated areas of the cemetery that haven't really been used yet, you're roughly speaking about 300 acres between both facilities and just over 100,000 interments. There are 70,000, over 70,000 interments at Oak Hill and over 30,000 at Locust Hill. Uh, so it's a tremendous, you know, it's a small city within the city. Um, when you think about it, I've got roadways, I've got uh, sewer issues, I've got, you know, grass to, to maintain. I've got, uh, <clears throat> we're in the process of getting both facilities certified as arboretums. Um, so I've got a tremendous responsibility and, you know, with municipal government and everything, uh, budgets are always a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's the work still has to be done whether there's money to do it or not, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, we we we're very creative here thinking outside the box and engaging the local community. We have a lot of volunteers. Uh sometimes it it pays to have the uh court-ordered volunteers as well help out where you can if you know what I mean, but uh -huh. we have a tremendous local history community here that has helped us to uh maximize our opportunities with some of the uh special events, the walking tours. Um, you know, some of the, uh, we've got the current emerald ash borer epidemic that we're facing with the uh, adopting our ash trees within the cemetery to uh, prevent them from being destroyed by the ash borer. Uh, we've, we've got tremendous folks that, that like to help out and uh, help us to maximize those opportunities to be 
what I try to be is one of the better facilities in in the area and the nation. You know, for municipal cemeteries, there's not a lot of us left, and um, you know, we try to be a beacon to those other municipal facilities. I, I've met with folks from around the region that have come and toured what we're doing here, and that just makes you feel great. But it, it's a testament to the staff that I have because we've got a heck of a team here at both Oak Hill and Locust Hill Cemetery. That is fascinating. You know, the the idea of having to play mother may I to someone else to be able to get your job done and try to try to figure out how the, the budget is going to to work with what you need to do, that, uh, that, that says something. But we're going to take a break here for just a moment. And when we come back, we want to talk about more about your job and uh, and how that gets accomplished. So, folks, you're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Weijin, and we are talking to Chris Cook. We'll be right back in just a second. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Mnemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Mnemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 
44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere, or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. Welcome back to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent, and today we are talking with Chris Cook, who is the superintendent of city cemeteries in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, Chris, before we went to break, you mentioned that uh, you are the superintendent over not only Oak Hill Cemetery, but also Locust Hill Cemetery. And between the two of them, you have about 100,000 or more uh, interments. How much room is left at these uh uh, two cemeteries. How how much, how many more That's, interments can you put in these now? It's one thing that my predecessors have done um, correctly, is we have undeveloped acreage in both facilities. We've got roughly 42 or so un, unlotted acres at Oak Hill that we uh, lease to a farmer currently, um, and then we've got roughly about 18 to 20 over at Locust Hill. And when you think about it, one of the changes within the industry that you're seeing nationwide is the the popularity of cremation. And um, the experts tell us that within the next, uh, you know, 30 years, the cremation rates in in the United States are going to be north of 85%. Now, in Canada and certain other folks uh, in the Pacific Northwest, you know, they're already pretty close to uh, some of those numbers. Um, but it's really gaining in popularity in the United States. One of the things I bring that up for is you figure I've got roughly about 75 acres that are uh, encompass the main footprint at Oak Hill, for example. So you figure 70,000 plus interments over 75 acres. Do you know how many, if I had the cremation only uh, development, <clears throat> you know, I could put over three acres, roughly 80,000 cremated remains if I plant it effectively. So if you factor at Oak Hill alone that I've got 42 undeveloped acres and cremation rates are going to go up, you know, to 85% or north of that within the next 30 years, we're going to be in the cemetery business for a very long time at that rate. So I estimated that we've got roughly about 250 years of uh, cemeteries still left if we plant it effectively. And that's one of the problems, you know, I've really got to true time machine here because one of the things that folks don't realize on any given day my problems can go back to 1853 if somebody had a bad day they didn't measure something correctly and they put the loved one you know say they're off just a matter of inches with the vault it could be festering there for many years and then you know a a beloved family member from that same family could pass away and we've got to put that person in the old family plot well, somebody had a bad day 30 years ago, they walked one off and didn't measure it, guess what? Uncle Joe is six inches into the space where he shouldn't be. <laughs> so on any wow. given day, you know, I could have a problem that dates back to, you know, however far back the cemetery goes, and it could have been festering there for years, and nobody realized it till we needed that space today. So, I mean, it's truly a challenge. You know, sometimes I wish I could invent a time machine and go back and have a discussion with, some of my predecessors. Um, but one of the things we try to do here currently is I try to document, document, document everything. So 50 years from now, when somebody's sitting in my job, 
and they're trying to say, what the heck was Chris doing? There will be a documented record so they can understand my thoughts on if we do deviate from the norm to address some issues, they can understand my mindset and kind of have a game plan that I didn't have, you know, so that I'm trying to do my due diligence to make sure that, um, you know, they have a good future idea of what we were doing here in 2017. It, it's funny that you bring up those kinds of things. Uh, my brother-in-law is in charge of a small church cemetery out in Posey County and mm-hmm. had to go through the entire process of finding out who is where and where that is marked and how many unmarked or unused spaces are left and had to grid all that out himself by hand and try to figure out who's where and is that where they belong. It can be a challenge. I mean, one of the things that we're in the process of doing is incorporating both cemeteries into a GIS system um, to where every grave will be marked with GIS information. And we're going through file by file and double checking that. And we should have that system public within the next six months, but it'll be revolutionary for our area. We'll be one of, uh, you got to drive about two hours in any direction to find somebody that's got something similar. So we're always trying to push the bar, maximize our opportunities and keep the public engaged. You know, it's not just doing the special events, but it's also bringing in these new technologies and utilizing them so that people dealing with grief and loss can maximize, you know, what they're going, not maximize the grief, but kind of have that opportunity to find their loved one grave, loved one's grave. Um, one of the things, you know, we talk about, we deal with a lot of genealogy folks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the emerging popularity of, you know, like Ancestry.com and places like that, we get a lot of these amateur genealogy folks, and when we convert to this system, it's going to be a blessing for those folks because they'll have the opportunity to update some of the records that we can approve to be a part of the searchable record. So if, you know, Aunt Joe is, uh, you've got a picture of her or a newspaper clipping, and you want to attach it to the searchable record of what we'll have here, uh, you can submit it, and then we would approve it. You know, an admin here would approve it, and then when John Q. Public searches Aunt Joe, guess what? There'll be that additional information that the family can add to kind of customize the experience. And, you know, through Ancestry.com and some of the genealogy research, that's, that's a part of the grieving process. So it offers the folks the opportunity, you know, kind of part of that, um, that opportunity and uh, keep everything, you know, moving in the right direction. Browning Funeral Home here in town has a uh, a genealogy uh, search type program that they have mm-hmm. been trying to keep up with, uh, with trying to keep the obituaries and everything written into their records. Are you working with them on trying to expand that uh, the database? Well, the database is a tremendous research that I, or resource that I use daily in my efforts. You know, when with some of the records that we have, um, Locust Hill in particular, there can be a challenge with some of the records over there. Um, the city didn't really, the history of the local city, that was the old Lamasco City Cemetery, and Lamasco and Evansville didn't merge till 1905. So pre-1905, some of my records are sketchy, so I get to use the, the, the Browning database to kind of help rebuild some of those records. Um, I've had some good discussions with them, but a lot of the original interment books and stuff that we have here, you know, they would actually uh, just be copies of what we have. So. I'm able to go in the vault and nine times out of 10 find what I need. Um, it's just when you get into those scenarios where pre-1905 at the one cemetery, for example, when we don't have the book, <laughs> uh, 
Um, I have to go to resources such as the Browning website, the local library system, Willard Library here, um, is is a tremendous research resource for research, and you know it just keeps everything going in the right direction. We try to help the families. It's about communication. So if somebody made one of those outreaches to us, and I knew that it was going to be a challenge, you know, I tell them, hey, it's going to be a couple of days. I got to delve into it, and I might spend an hour or so just doing some research on my end, and it's 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 helping that family. But then I take what I've spent and update our records so that the next person that has to research that loved one here in my position, you know, they've got a little bit of a heads up on what they need to do. You know, a funny story that, that uh, my dad had told me years ago when I was a kid, and, you know, my dad died seven years ago when he was in his 60s. So this happened, you know, some time previously. And... Uh, he had uh, taken me to Locust Hill Cemetery, and he said, okay, this tree at this corner of these two little roads here, and he named off some female relative relative of his, some aunt or some great aunt or somebody, and he said, somewhere they're supposed to be near this tree because it was a sapling when the grave was put in, and the uh, <laughs> the grave and the road... And all of that went right on top, or the tree in the road went over the top of the grave, and she was never actually really moved anywhere. And we don't know where she's moved because her marker's not here. She vanished. <laughs> we, <laughs> no, no one knows where she is, and it's nothing that we've ever looked up or you know tried to track down. But it's just kind of funny. He's just like, okay, see that nice tree? Um, well, <laughs> one of your relatives was supposed to be where that tree is. <laughs> well, I run into the same scenario. My own great-great-grandfather's over at Locust Hill. And he was in a, you know, like what would be a Medicaid or a trustee scenario here from the 1930s where, you know, the families are responsible for the memorialization through the headstones and stuff. And if you're in a, you know, a pauper's grave or something like that from way back when, nine times out of ten there's no memorial uh, mm-hmm. marker because, you know, budget issues and stuff like that for the families. Um, my own grandfather, when I took the opportunity in 08, told me, hey, you know, your great-great-grandfather's out Locust Hill. Can you help me find his grave? Well, 1936 uh, is pre the use of modern-day burial vaults. So there's nothing you can really probe to that you're going to hit, you know, being underneath the ground that long. So you have to look at the stones that are there, make a guesstimate, uh, adjust for the fact that it was on a hillside, that there's a little bit of shift on what goes underneath the ground over the past 80 years or so. And... You know, the best I could do was for my own grandfather was to get within about 10 to 12 feet of where I think he is. And that's, you know, I do the best I can with the records that I'm given. But I tell families, you know, hey, I'm in your scenario, too. I've got a loved one out at Locust Hill, and this is the best I could do. And I, you know, I try to treat everybody like I would my own family. Mm. And I use that, you know, and that's one thing that day one when I was 32 and they threw me the keys to this place, you know, I gave the, being a football guy, I gave the big rah-rah speech and I said, hey, everybody out here, everybody that works here knows somebody that is entombed or interred here. I want you to treat everybody that comes through the gate just like you would treat your own family because everybody that comes through that gate is dealing with grief and loss. Mm-hmm. And there's no right or wrong way, <clears throat> excuse me, to deal with grief and loss. And as long as we treat everybody that comes through that gate the same, whether it's that pauper's grave or somebody that's in the high dollar section, you're not going to have anybody, you're not ever going to have any issues with me as long as we do it right the first time, 
you know, and such like that. What a unique uh, uh, responsibility that you have, not only to deal with the family issues and grief and planning and how things are supposed to go with that, but also uh, taking over that kind of a position leaves you as a um, as a a holder of the past. You're the archive of everything that has happened up to you and your uh, activity during your time in that position will guide and aid the people who come in after you and try to, you know, move that forward. So you're, you're, you're trying to clean up the mistakes that people didn't keep good records in the past and try to, you know, try to correct some of the mistakes for the last 150 years, but then also make sure that the next 150 years are going to go a whole lot more smoothly. And, and that, that's, that's a tremendous responsibility. Yeah, and one of the things I always try to, like, the, the best way for me to impose my will on the future is, you know, the simple tree plantings that we do. You know, I've got trees that predate the cemetery that are here that are over 200 years old um, that we're, we're trying to fight and save with this ash program. But in some of those undeveloped areas where I, where I plant trees now, if, you know, subtly, if anybody in the industry would look at what I'm doing, they can figure out that I'm trying to put trees where I want roads to potentially be mm. and kind of sections because with the tree ordinances that we have in the city, you know how hard it is to cut down a tree <laughs> in the public right away. Yes. So, in a way, you know, I had to think outside the box. How can I impose my will 75 years into the future? Well, the best resource to do that is by planting trees. Well, we're going to get back to more of that in just a few minutes. We have to take a break right now and uh, cut away for, for a second for some announcements. Folks, you're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent, and we're going to talk more with Chris Cook, the superintendent of City Cemeteries, when we come back. Stay tuned. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. 
Gibbs A. Williams, PhD, is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at... Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. Welcome back to The World Beyond. I'm your host, Joe Wegent. And today we're talking to Chris Cook, who is the superintendent of city cemeteries in Evansville, Indiana. So, Chris, what does a a regular standard run-of-the-mill day look like for you? You know, when I first took the opportunity, I thought I would have a standard run-of-the-mill everyday type of scenario. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. 
It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Mario, but to be honest, that's one of the reasons I enjoy what I do because on any given day, uh, you know, I hate to sound like that show Pawn Stars, but you never know what's going to walk through that door on any given day. Um, you know, I try to have a game plan where you, you might have heard my guys coming in to clock in because I am here uh, live from the site. Um, but the it just, <laughs> you try to have a game plan. You know, usually I meet with my team first thing briefly for about five, ten minutes. We go over the burials for the day. It varies depending on how many services we have. You know, like today we have about three services between both facilities, so we try to go over the game plan to make sure we've got them covered and um you know, when when it's mowing season, I have to meet with my mowing contractors and stuff like that and make sure that those teams are going. And then, you know, occasionally, depending on, you know, on any given day, the next five phone calls could be related to services. So when I took this job, everybody's like, well, let's get together for lunch. And I'm like, you know, lunch for me is usually about two thirty, three o'clock after the services are done uh, because most of the services that hit our gate, you know, are between, on average, between 10 and one one thirty, you know um so you never know you know when you try to schedule stuff in advance it's very difficult to do um you know i've got a a school uh the local university here has got a class on death and dying and they're coming out in april i speak to them every year that they do this class and i i just set the the rsvp and the, the date in my calendar yesterday and i had to preface it with the professor that hey you know, there's no way of knowing how many services I'm going to have on April 8th. Um, so as always, you know, it'll be a game time decision. Check in with me, you know, two days before. I will make time for your students, but we might need to adjust that time. So let's get on to something a little uh, a little more on the topic of what I'm trying to oh, get yeah. into on the oh, show. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of uh, young budding paranormal investigators, uh, their first, uh, you know, venture out into the uh, investigating world is to try to go to local cemeteries and try to pick up on things and get EVPs and take pictures of orbs and things. Do you ever see anybody doing that or do they call you and schedule you first or do they just sneak in in the middle of the night? Or, I mean, how, how does that most work with time, you? Most of the time it's they sneak in in the middle of the night and uh, <clears throat> then if they capture something, then I find out about it, and then I have to preface it that, you know, technically the gates are open uh, 24-7 so that police and fire can respond, um, but you're not supposed to be on the grounds after sunset. Um, you know, this area is patrolled by our local police department. I patrol it when I can, um, but most of the time I find out about these things when people catch something that they weren't expecting, and then they need some guidance um, you know, I shared with you recently, uh, you know, you talk about never knowing what's going to walk through that door. I had a, a couple come up from, uh, they were somewhere down in Kentucky, and they had taken, 
I guess they were in here at the late part of last year at night, and they were taking pictures, and they took a bunch of pictures, and they reviewed them. And this was probably one of those crazy things that you just never know is going to, you know, if you would have showed me these pictures, you know, three years ago, I would have said, wait a minute, you know. <clears throat> but this lady had picked up, you know, it looked like, a, and I'd shared these pictures with you. I mean, it, it looked like a full-on, you can describe to your listeners how, how you took it, but it was very interesting. But the problem was because they took the pictures three months ago at night, they didn't know what section they were in. So the lady comes in, shows me the pictures, and she's like, look at this. And I'm like, wow. She's like, I'd really like to know what that section is to do some research. Um, thank God that, you know, I've been out here for nine years, almost nine years. I looked at the picture, and because of the tree and the way the vine was growing up the tree, I knew exactly where it was. So I took her to the, the location. I stood at the roadway with her, looked at the picture, went out into the section where the, uh, you know, the uh, anomaly was that showed up in the picture, let's say. And what do you think I found out there in the middle of the section about the same location? Because it looked like a, a younger child, to be honest with you. I, you saw the pictures. You can describe for your listeners if what your take was on it. But uh, would you agree that that's what it... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it looked like a... You could definitely tell it was a younger child... Well, what do you think we found out there about where the uh, uh, about where that apparition, we'll call it, uh, appeared in the photo? I'm just going to take a uh, you know a educated stab in the dark and say you probably found the marker of a uh, person who had died young. We found four in a row. Oh boy, four uh, children. You know, it was an old family plot in one of the older sections, and you know, their infants didn't make it. You know, younger children didn't make it. And it was about a hundred year old grave site. And there yeah, was, was the time. But the thing was, is these were all uh, male children and the apparition, the, the picture that you see there that I shared with you, it, it looks like a female. And, yes. you know, these people from Kentucky were sitting there struggling and I'm like, well, did you ever think that, uh, you know, you have three or four boys and you got a little girl in the picture they were all probably getting together to talk, you know, and I was just throwing it out there. I wasn't, you know, being serious to this lady. I mean, I was, I kind of was, but, you know, I'm a professional and I can't really delve into this subject, you know, with John Q. Public because I do work for uh, municipal government. You know, you never know how people are going to react. She goes, I never thought about that. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm sure the kids gather, you know, and uh, there's there's different stories, different opinions, but, you know, you I shared those pictures because, to be honest, within the past nine years, that's one of the top five that I ever have experienced myself or seen somebody brought in to, to me. Um, you know, I never knew that day that I was going to get pictures like that because I said, well, ma'am, can you send me these pictures? Because, you know, every time I do a public talk, I take the last 15 minutes and kind of throw the switch and say, hey, here's what you want to hear, and here's the questions I get asked all the time. I'm going to let you be the judge, and I throw up five or six scenarios. If I have pictures from people or I have, uh, like the most recently, I have a video of uh, a person that was with me that I interviewed, you know, I take those opportunities and I let them be the judge. So how many of those kinds of scenarios over the last nine years do you think you've encountered? Personally, um, 
I average probably about one a year um, over the past nine years. There's different there's different levels of it. Um, you know, when I took the opportunity, I'd done research on spiritualism and some of the stuff that you delve into on your radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't call myself a practitioner, but you know. I have to deal with a lot of diverse backgrounds and belief systems and stuff because, you know, in dealing with grief and loss that we do, I have to be prepared to kind of counsel these folks. And you try not to put your own personal belief system into what other people are dealing with. You try to respect where they're coming from and get them the help, you know, the help that they need to kind of get through the grief process. But like recently, one of the ones within the past year, other than, you know, I wasn't there for those pictures. So, um, you know, I can't exactly say that I experienced that, but some of the ones that I have experienced, one of the most prevalent ones was about a year ago. I was out in the cemetery in broad daylight, about 1130 in the morning with one of our local stone contractors. And we were sitting there, there was a stone that needed to be repaired that he was going to have to haul away back to his shop. And I was out in one of the older sections and showed him, you know, where it was. And I look over towards our historic wall and I'm like, it looks like something's on fire. And he goes, look at that. And it was a cloud of green mist, broad daylight, about, you know, four or five feet off the ground, hovering and it kind of went up the hillside and then dissipated before I could get my phone out. You know, I was kind of dumbstruck by what I saw, and it was gone. This gentleman that was with me owns a local memorial company, um, been in the business for 40 years, and he goes, Chris, I think we just experienced something, and I have to admit, in 40 years of doing this, I've never seen anything like that in a cemetery. How about that? Um, and, you know, I wish I had video, so the last time I gave a public presentation here uh, on the history, you know, I always, the library likes to have me in the month of October for some reason, if you know. <laughs> so uh-huh. I take that as a hint that I need to take the last 15 minutes of my discussion and kind of have some of the things that your listeners would enjoy hearing. So I couldn't get him to be there that night. So I took my camera phone and filmed a, a minute segment where I interviewed him um, out in the cemetery about the experience. Cause I told you tell people these stories, but when you can have other eyewitnesses that are respected members of the community, you know, to kind of back up what you saw, um, it makes you not sound crazy to some people that aren't in tune to what, you know, some of the things that you and I aren't in tune to, you know, and especially your listeners. So, which leads me to another question. How has your view on the paranormal or the supernatural changed from the time before you took this position and now? I would say it's expanded. I've been a lot more open-minded. You know, you have experiences. I felt like myself, I've always been in tune with some of the stuff that might be out, out outside the realm of, uh, you know, what most people believe. Um, I've always been taught to respect all the different backgrounds and stuff. I've learned a lot more about it in the past nine years, and I've opened my mind to it. And, you know, you and I have had some discussions off air that, you know, there is there is fact in some of this stuff. Um, there are some people that are hoaxers out there and stuff like that. But, you know, I've had too many experiences in my own personal job that, uh, you know, I've really had to broaden my, my view. Um, 
because there's been, you know, like I said, I average about one a year of these things that you just can't explain. And uh, it, once you open your mind, and, and let me preface it, you know, when I have had these experiences out here, it's never really been a negative vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first ones I ever had was back in 08. I was in my office, and my office dates back to 1899. It was originally built as a chapel. And I was in the cemetery about 8.30 at night doing some work because I had, to, I had to go out of town. So I was trying to get caught up on some stuff. And it was the first experience I had where I, there was an orb about uh, 15 feet. I've got real high ceilings um, in my office. And it was more or less just like a, hey, we're here, you know. Mm-hmm. It was not a negative thing. I've, uh, you know, I've had strange stories like that, that that's one that I personally experienced. Sometimes you'll come into the office like on a Monday morning after a weekend where, you know, the last person usually clocks out of here at 4 o'clock on Sunday, so you have a good day and a half, and you'll have this strong smell of pipe tobacco. And it usually comes from the doorway into my office, and I've done some research, and from some of my predecessors, I said, oh, yeah, you know, Superintendent so-and-so back in the 40s and 50s used to sit in there and just smoke a pipe all the time. And I'm just like... Wow. You know, <laughs> because nobody here currently smokes a pipe. And, you know, there's a distinct smell to what pipe tobacco smells like versus, uh, you know, a cigarette or, you know, alternative tobacco, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Well, I want to get back to that as soon as we come back from our break. We're going to cut away for uh, a few minutes and come back for our last segment. You are listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent, and this hour we are talking with Chris Cook, and we'll have much more when we return from our break. Stay tuned, folks. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president 
of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? I'm Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, and on The Secret to Everything, we will merge the practical with open investigation into all realms of the mysterious. We will talk to cutting-edge alternative health practitioners, those who inspire and motivate you in business and life, and of course, we will share stories of the paranormal, conspiracy, and cryptozoology. You will transform because of the frequency I carry, the frequencies my guests carry. Life may never be the same after you listen to this program. For the secret to everything is for you, the listener, for those who desire more in every area of their lives and believe that it can still be found. Listen and discover thesecrettoeverything.com. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500 plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. You're listening to the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back, folks. You are listening to the World Beyond Radio Show, and we're always bringing you the very best of what's out there and how we can accept that into our normal, everyday lives. Our show is produced and brought to you by the ever-growing leader in New Age, Paranormal, Alternative Health, and Supernatural Programming, the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and Relmar McConnell Media Company at their headquarters and master control in Ontario, Canada. For more information about the world beyond, your host, or a wealth of other amazing radio shows and hosts, please go to www. Dot .xzbn.net to contact me to inquire about being a guest on the world beyond or for any other information please contact me by email at joe wegent that's joe w e i g a n t at xzbn.net 
Or you can visit my websites, paranormalpeace.com and reikichoice, that's R-E-I-K-I, choice.com. Our guest this hour is Chris Cook, who is the superintendent of city cemeteries for the city of Evansville, Indiana. He can be found on the government website at the city of Indiana, or he also has a profile on LinkedIn. You can find him at Chris Cook, and his last name is C-O-O-K-E. Chris, on our last segment here, we started getting into some of the uh, the deeper aspects of uh, working with decedents. So, what what <laughs> yep. is the what is the creepiest uh, or the you know most uh, unnerving episode that you've uh, encountered in your nine years of working with uh, the living and the dead? Well, it'd probably be the uh, Super Bowl incident uh, from about four years ago. And I call it the Super Bowl incident because uh, about 2, two o'clock, uh, the Monday morning after that Super Bowl, I was awakened by our local alarm company to, uh, I need to get to work because they had recorded voices in our office and police were on scene. Um, I was staying down at my river camp that night because uh, the family had had a Super Bowl party and I was going to go to work the next day, which adds another 10 minutes to my drive. So it took me about 15 minutes to get here. Um, from a dead sleep, I get here, and some of Evansville's finest are out there with canines. They said, we've checked every building in the facility. The dogs aren't getting any hits. Sonatrol has a confirmed uh, voices in your office. Can you let us in? Sure. You know, uh, didn't look like anything was out of place. I uh, come in to the office. Nothing's been touched. The alarm hadn't been tripped. You know, they've, they've got the sound recognition in here. And that's what was tripped, but there wasn't any motion detectors. Um, there were three of uh, the officers were in here. I knew a couple of them, and we called Sonatrol, um, and they played back what they had recorded. <laughs> and lo and behold, you know, and this is one of the ones I tell when I, I talk because I don't really, I'm working on getting the audio from Sonatrol in their records, but I, the only thing I have is the police run card to show that this event actually happened. Well, for about 90 seconds, you could hear like a low, muffled men and, a man and a woman having a discussion. And uh, <laughs> about 2 o'clock in the morning, the officers kind of look at me and they said, Chris, this is your, uh, your baby. You got this. And they took off. And so I'm sitting there with the guy on Sonatrol. And, uh, you know, still to this day, uh, you know, you want proof. And like I said, that's one of those things on any given day, you never know what you're going to have to deal with here. And, you know, the fact that you have Sonatrol involved, which is our local alarm company, and Evansville Police Department out here, and, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, the morning after the Super Bowl, you know, I almost wonder with me being a football fan if they were messing with me sometimes. But, uh, you know, I say they, you know, lovingly. It's not, it wasn't a negative discussion. It was just, you it it was very odd, you know, it wasn't necessarily a negative unnerving, but it's like, dang, you know, were you but able one to of pick things, up on, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to well, ask, what did, <laughs> we're talking over each other. So were you able to pick up any actual uh, words or any conversation during that recording or was it just so low and muffled? It was low and muffled. Yeah. Um, it was, it was almost like where the voice sensor is in here. It was in one room, and it sounded like it was on the other side. And it was enough t 
to make the officer one officer. He just took off. I mean, he, <laughs> <laughs> he goes, this is your world. Uh, this is your realm. You can deal with it. And, uh, that was probably the most unnerving because there I am, you know, they took off very quickly. You know, it's two fifteen in the morning and you've got a facility, you know, Oak Hills, roughly 125 uh, acres of, when you think about it, 150 acres, and you're in the middle of a cemetery, 2.15 in the morning, and you just had this incident, everybody else took off. Um, yeah, that can be unnerving, but, you know, it's one of the ones that when I do give my public talks, I'll throw up the run card and tell the story, you know, and it's one that people always like to hear. Um, the only other unnerving ones is there's been a couple opportunities where I've seen a couple orbs out in the cemetery. And nine times out of ten, it never fails. If if I go back, like, on a lunch, you know, because I take my lunches in here, and I do the research of where I saw it, and I look at some of the headstones, usually within about 15 feet or so of where I do have that, um, I'll find somebody that was either, you know, may have lost their life in, like, a tragic scenario or might have been murdered. And it's funny that, you know, it's not like it was a negative vibe when I was out there, but it seems like... Nine times out of ten, when I do encounter these things, that usually if I do my research on the headstones around it, there's some tragic event or early loss of life mm-hmm. um, associated with somebody in that general area. And it's, you know, I can't really, you know, seeing is believing. And when you do that, when you have that experience and you do the research, you asked me earlier about has my view changed? Well, when you have those incidents like that, it tends to really back up. Yeah, there's there's some stuff out there that the average person in society is not even aware of. And, you know, there's, uh, I'd say, roughly 15 to 10 percent of us that are aware. And, you know, it just once you open your realm or open your eyes to that realm, there's a whole nother whole nother plane, you know, of existence. And it's it, it's never really been a negative vibe. You know, there was one out there that I said that there was a, a bad scenario when I did the research and that would probably be the only one where I got the negative vibe from, mm-hmm. but these have all just kind of been positive experiences. It's like, Hey, we're here, you know? And, uh, exactly. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the only other time that I had some people with me, I mean, my wife's been in here with me at all hours and, uh, it, you know, she, we were out, there was a snow, uh, snow covered night uh, a year or two ago and it was a full moon on top of it. So I came out to check on the facility and took some cool night pictures because I figured with the moon and the snow on the ground, it would be illuminated in a way that you don't normally get to see. And when I went back to, you know, look at the pictures, lo and behold, guess what I found a couple of, you know, I mean, some small orbs, you know, that I put in the, in the shots, you know, that when I do give my public talks that, you know, kind of seeing is believing. Now, I'm not an advocate of coming in here at night unless you're with the superintendent. If you know what I mean. Exactly. I always have to preface that when I give my talks, but, you know, she's been with me and had those experiences, and uh, it just, it, you know, it's always good to have backup with you because, you know, you're not crazy. Um, but it's just people have to really broaden the horizon and open their mind and we have to be prepared as guardians and dealing with grief and loss for the families we serve that everybody's unique that comes through our gate. We have to have an open mind to help kind of ferry them across the, uh, the, the plane of grief, you know what I mean? To where mm-hmm. there's no cookie cutter scenario for dealing with grief and loss. 
And if you if you think there is, you're not doing yourself a favor in our industry. Exactly. You know, people have asked me, you know, for years uh, if I get creeped out in cemeteries or if I pick up a lot of things in cemeteries, you know, because of, of my particular abilities. And, uh, you know, I I turn around immediately and ask them, well, how much time do you spend in a cemetery today? And they say, well, none. Well, when was the last time you were at a cemetery when you weren't watching a loved one being interred? None. So why would you go back there whenever you've uh, gone? You know, why would you spend time there whenever your body has, has uh, stopped working? Why would you go back and spend a whole lot of time in cemeteries? Yeah. So, you know, that it's it's always been for me, I've, I've never really had a problem with that because I've it, the occurrences there are usually for the people who are in the cemetery and yeah. those people are coming in to visit the, the live ones that are walking through or visiting for, you know, the way I see it. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that you're seeing so many things, even as a, an impartial uh, person there, and then you're seeing some of these other spirits and other uh, beings moving around, I think that's very interesting. You've opened my eyes to that particular... Uh, well, uh, you know, I have to put it in perspective from where I sit in my office. I can look out the window now that the leaves are off the trees, and I can see my final resting place about 75 yards away. And, you know, I joke about this, but when, they, uh, when I had the opportunity given to me back in 08, uh, the first thing I said to my boss was, as long as I'm not having any discussions with any deceased family members, because my family plot is literally 75 yards away from the office, I said, I think we're going to be good. And, uh, you know, I've yet to have that discussion with my grandfather, who uh, went in back in 2014. But, you know, I think that would be very unnerving <laughs> if that ever happened. But, uh, you know, it's just, I always try to joke about it. But, you know, it's like on the, any given day, those pictures recently, somebody come in, came in, you know, unbeknownst to me and needed some help. And the fact that they had that, and it was the best picture, way better than anything that I've ever picked up. Well, I have certainly enjoyed having you on the show today, Chris, and this has been a pleasure. Uh, I would Appreciate definitely want to have you come back again and talk more about your yeah. experiences over there. Folks, yep. you have been listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I am your host, Joe Wegent. We will certainly meet again and have more great experiences. Thanks for listening, folks. Goodbye. <laughs>